0: Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. Brought to you by Wintrust Bank, Mazda of Orland Park on ESPN 1000. Chicago's new home of the White Sox.
1: Welcome into White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. It is January 30th. We are very close to February, which means we are closer and closer, at least we hope, to pitchers and catchers reporting, which means we're closer to spring training starting, which means we're closer and closer to the start of the 2021 White Sox season. Lovely to have you with us this morning. A pleasure, although it's all ours, really. Truly, it is. Your show today, uh, except for the 935 segment, we're going to use that to talk with Jonathan Mayo of MLB Pipeline. The top 100 prospects in baseball uh, ranked by MLB Pipeline are out. The White Sox have four in the top 100, ranked by Jonathan May. We're going to talk about the rest of the list, too, because uh, prospects are fun. And the White Sox have a couple of good ones, a couple of ones ready to graduate, and some that have already graduated. So that's all, you know, that's really all good stuff. Um, I do, though... Even though I'm, I'm very excited to do the show today and, and looking forward to talking White Sox baseball and talking about some other moves that got made in and around the, the division and around the league with some players that the White Sox may or may not have been linked to over the last little bit. Uh, I am just a little bit in, in mourning today, and it's because this weekend is usually Sox Fest. You know, what I mean, it's right around that January twenty fifth, twenty sixth. You know, this past weekend, this weekend, depending on when schedules fell and when the stars aligned and when Frank was able to make it, all that kind of stuff. I, I love Sox Fest. I really do. Been going since I started covering baseball in this town. Been either working it or covering it or being part of the activities and part of the broadcasts there through various stations. Or when I was, you know, doing the White Sox, White Sox Weekly, and, and pre and post game in the past. I miss seeing Sox fans. I miss having those conversations. I miss seeing every, seeing y'all in the halls. I miss everybody who does a great job covering this team from the you know from the beat writers all the way to you know folks who write blogs and and people who write really good ones like the guys at Sox Machine and Future Sox and you know beat writers like Scott Merkin and everybody like that. I just I miss the connection, and I was able to fill in for the Waddle and Sylvie show this last week on ESPN One Thousand. And we talked a lot about, you know, kind of what we miss and and the need to go back to sporting events. And, and it really is for me, and I think for a lot of White Sox fans, a a thing that we are very much needing and a thing that we're very much ready for, but understanding that it's not there yet. We, we can't we don't get to go back to games yet. We don't get to all hang out and hear the crack of the bat and grab a beer and all that kind of stuff. We're just we're not there yet. But we're looking forward to it. And this weekend, you know, this last weekend of January or so is when SoxFest rolls around. And I just, I kind of miss it some. Uh, Speaking of, of Scott Merkin. Uh, at the end of the show, we're going to talk a bit about a top 10 list that uh, Scott put together on MLB.com. It's a fun one. It's got a lot of audio involved with it. We get to kind of relive some White Sox past and, and hear some highlights and kind of remember those guys. It's all that kind of stuff. Really looking forward to it. I mentioned Jonathan Mayo is going to join us right about 935 or so. We'll get into the the White Sox prospect list, talk a lot about Andrew Vaughn and Nick Madrigal, who Jonathan Mayo is very high on. We'll go down the list, too, because White Sox fans are well acquainted, I think, with the guys at the top of that list. You should be. Most of them have played at the Major League level, and everybody's been talking about Andrew Vaughn since the day he got drafted. I get it. So we'll go down the list as well and see who else he likes, you know, toward the middle tier, I guess, of of White Sox prospects. One thing I I do want to bring up, too, though, as we kind of start things out, we we had Len Casper. I was in with Sylvie, like I mentioned last week, and we had Len Casper on, on Friday, and we talked a bit about kind of the expectations of when this season begins and what spring training may look like and that kind of thing. I, I don't know anything yet. I do know that many of us are kind of understanding that it may not be when we want it to be obviously there's been a lot of conversation from the um i guess you call them city officials in maricopa county that's you know that's glendale that's i think maricopa county is like it's the gigantic piece of arizona i think it's the whole thing and then everybody else lives outside maricopa but that's that's the that's the bulk of the cactus league and i just i feel like it's worth talking about i feel like it's worth letting everybody know if you have missed it it is possible that things aren't starting on time. It is possible that we're looking at a bit of a different and adjusted schedule. White Sox Weekly will still be here for you regardless of what time or, or what day spring training starts. However, I, I do think, and Len mentioned this when we talked with him, uh, Len Casper, the new voice of the White Sox here on ESPN 1000, that it, it, everybody's kind of talking and feeling like 150-plus games make sense. You know, assuming that things trend and go the way they seem to have trend and go those aren't words, but I'm making them up and I'm using them. But you know what I'm saying? Like, as long as the line kind of continues the way it's going, 150, 150-something games makes some sense, and I think it's probably the floor. And that's a good thing because I think for a lot of reasons, in 2020, the White Sox were a very interesting team because, oh, gosh, we talked about it a whole lot, right? High variance benefits teams that lean into high variance, and with Luis Robert having never played in the major leagues, and Nick Madrigal expected to come up at any point during the 2020 season, or as soon as the as soon as he was ready, as soon as the clock was ready, all that kind of stuff. Then we we knew that those rookies, that those you know guys with a, not a lot of playing time at the major league level, could theoretically benefit. From that high variance, from the league not really knowing what to do with him yet. And we saw that with, with Luis Robert a little bit. And we saw kind of the, the step back too, as teams sort of figured him out or maybe some, you know, wear and tear wore in kind of thing. Everybody remembers the last month that Luis Robert has. It wasn't quite the first, uh, first two. That's neither here nor there. It's just to say that now you have a, a roster, a squad that is more seasoned. From the lower parts, or from the from the rookieish parts, right? Luis Robert has been through at least one trip around the league, or at least the centrals, as it were. He, there is an understanding of what it takes to play major league baseball, and now I'm, I think a lot of White Sox fans are ready to see them take on, you know, the full sandwich. Ready to go watch them take on a full 150 ish, 162 games. I, I think a lot of people are looking forward to that. I think a lot of people are looking forward to seeing a, a full fledged rotation fill itself out with Dylan Cease and Reynaldo Lopez, Michael Kopak kind of finishing out those top six guys. And, and I'm going to, you know, if you're new to White Sox Weekly or new to me, you're going to hear me talk about <clears throat> the starting rotation in terms of more than just five quite often. We've seen it in and around baseball. Uh, it's the way pitching is changing now. It takes more than five to win in a season. And oftentimes, and I, I think a lot of baseball fans have kind of been keeping an eye on this, You, there are a lot of teams now talking about what a six-man rotation could do with them. Free agent Trevor Bauer is talking a lot about what a six-man rotation could potentially do for individual pitchers, too. It's going to take more than just five. I think we know that now. Um, and at least that's the way baseball set up. So I- I'm going to talk about the starting rotation is more than just five guys for a real long time. There have been a couple of moves here, by the way, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. I want to hear from you. You got anything White Sox related, anything in and around the league you want to get to. It's your show. That's what this is. It's for White Sox fans. Give us a call. You want to ask a question? I'm here for you. You can watch us on Twitch, too. We got a handful of you joining us on Twitch. Love you. Appreciate it. Twitch.tv, just search ESPN 1000 Chicago. Uh, We are broadcasting from the First Midwest Bank State Street Studios. So a couple of moves have been made uh, over the last handful of days um, that have kind of tangentially involved the White Sox and kind of not involved the White Sox. But it's all baseball, and I think it all kind of matters some. And I want to get into first the Jock Peterson signing from the Cubs. And I want to do this because quite obviously, Jock Peterson and the White Sox have been, you know, and if you follow the team, you've heard Jock Peterson's name and White Sox mentioned in a lot of uh, hot stove reports. You've heard them mentioned in trade rumors in years past. It's a player and team that have been linked quite a bit in the last, what would be fair, probably two years, maybe two and change, maybe two and change, something like that. Jock Peterson is a guy who was probably available for that kind of span because the Dodgers are so darn deep, it's ridiculous. So Peterson, as a guy who fits one half of a, pl- of a platoon, you know, the left-handed hitting power kind of guy who can take on right-handers and, and hopefully deposit a lot of baseballs in the seats if you've got them on your team, makes a lot of sense for a whole bunch of teams. If you can hit right-handed, right-handed pitching for power, you can have a job in this game for quite some time. And if you've got defense that can manage center field and be pretty okay in corners, that's an even, you know, hopefully a longer career, at least in terms of Jock. The LA Times had a report out that truly did link the White Sox and Jock Peterson Jorge Castillo. I was just pulling it up on my phone. I want to make sure I get it correctly. Jorge, Jorge Castillo is a fine beat writer for the LA Times. Wrote this, and I just I want to read it to you as is because I know the conversation for White Sox fans has been you know all over the place as it concerns what's left. Are there more moves? What happens at DH? Is there a backup catcher? All that kind of thing. And as some players have come off the board here, I know that's been some a source of concern. Here's what Castillo writes about Peterson. Another year in Los Angeles was never likely for Jock. The Dodgers, theoretically, could have re-signed him at $7 million, but they would have kept limiting, limiting him to starts against right-handed pitchers. He wants to play every day. Keep that in mind. The lack of clarity regarding a designated hitter in the National League didn't help. The Universal DH, which appears, this is Castillo reporting, which appears unlikely in 21, would have boosted Peterson's stock. He garnered interest from other clubs, including... The White Sox, the Brewers, and the Braves, according to people with knowledge of the situation, but the demand for his services was icy. Middle-class free agents, Peterson figured out, had been squeezed this offseason. His negotiations centered on a one-year deal. The huge contract he seemed destined to reach just a few years ago wasn't there. And boy, remember, Peterson was a... I mean, he was the, the can't-miss kind of dude. I don't know that he quite had the Bellinger shine didn't have the wander franco kind of move either he's the top prospect rated by mlb pipeline uh, tampa bay rays shortstop who apparently is the next best thing since sliced bread we'll talk to jonathan mayo about that about nine thirty. either way here's how this report kind of rounds out the white Sox offered peterson this is castillo reporting again a one-year contract worth at least 10 million dollars but he asked for more money It was turned down, according to a person with knowledge of the situation. The club then signed Adam Eaton. That was a little while after. Signed a one-year, $7 million deal with a club option for 2022 last month. James Feagan of The Athletic has reported, uh, or at least kind of conversed on Twitter, I guess I should say, that Eaton's option for 22 was an important thing for the White Sox, which makes some sense. And I think Eaton's floor versus Peterson's floor is where I want to start talking about the difference between the two players. So you have the reports, you have where things kind of sat between your team, the White Sox, and the reports about the player that seemed to have fit, that they seemed to have been interested in. But remember, as things moved around here, as the market has kind of shifted, uh, or at least changed some with a lot of free agents being signed and one-year deals being worked and uncertainty, not just... In terms of when does spring training start? How does the season roll out? What do team's finances look like? But also, and importantly, is there a DH in the National League? That changes teams' conversations with players quite a bit. So that's what we head when we come back. We've got some player movement in and around the league. And a big-time hitter that's still out there and waiting And that DH conversation could matter there, too. Some teams in the division have made some additions. Do they catch up with the White Sox? Do they get themselves closer? We'll talk about that as well. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to talk White Sox, here's the place to do it. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000.
0: This is White Sox Weekly. White Sox Weekly. On Chicago's home for sports. On ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. The new home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly.
1: This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Give us a call 312 332 3776. We've had a lot of player movement in the last, shoot, 48 hours. Not all of it's necessarily going to affect the White Sox, their ability to win the AL Central, but uh, some of it has affected American League teams. One big move last night. I think it's still technically reported. I haven't seen the, and, and to be honest with you, I'm prepping for the show, I haven't seen it, but that doesn't mean it hasn't been official yet. It sounds like Nolan Arenado is going to go from the Rockies to the Cardinals for a box of oranges and money. So that's good for the Cardinals and good for them in the NL Central um, not so great for the Rockies, because when you lose a player of that caliber, it's it's never good, regardless of the situation. We've been talking a lot about Jock Peterson, though, uh, because the LA Times report by Jorge Castillo linked Jock Peterson and the White Sox. And I think it's really important to mention this. In the report, Castillo wrote yesterday, it mentions that the White Sox and Jock Peterson's interest was a while ago, right? Like some weeks before Adam Eaton even signed. The request from Peterson's side, as it seems, was playing time. Full time kind of stuff. Peterson struggles hitting left handed pitching. Struggle might be putting it lightly. He did have a better 2020 hitting lefties. I think it was a 112 weighted runs created plus. The career weighted runs created plus for him against left handed pitching sits somewhere around the 55 mark though. 60 games anybody can kind of do anything um and i'm sure that peterson wants the full-time job in the outfield regardless of the spot but wants the full-time job in the outfield so that he can you know listen this is a pandemic economy right for baseball players too he's 29 years old he takes the one-year deal has a chance to get something a little larger a little longer you know hopefully that's the the path for jock peterson as his career is concerned but I think the White Sox and I think White Sox fans would agree the defense that Adam Engel brings you and his ability to hit left-handed pitching and provide a different sort of swing profile than the than a I'm, I'm going to simplify things, oversimplify things just a little bit here – than the swing and miss, you know, big-time power guys that are somewhat in the middle of that lineup provide something different for you. Not that you can hit Adam 4, 5, or 6 or anything like that, but if the matchup provides, it allows you to kind of bump him up some more. His defense is also elite. And that is to be considered when you have to when you have to move Aloy Jimenez out of a game perhaps for defensive reasons, if you want to DH Aloy Jimenez, if you just want to make sure that the defense is, is kind of evened out some, if you want to take uh, if Luis Robert needs a day, you know if you want to get him a back-to-back or something like that coming an off, coming off an off day or something, it will after all be the most baseball Luis Robert has ever played. In a single season, expecting to play 40 games or so. Wanted to walk through that, wanted to talk about it a little bit. One more player I wanted to talk about, too, that's kind of sitting out there and waiting to be grabbed by you know, seemingly a White Sox rival or potentially by the White Sox themselves if they did want to shake things up and get a little beefier in that lineup is Nelson Cruz. Uh, As it so happens, Marty's in Highland Park and wants to talk about exactly that. Marty, what's up?
2: Uh, Connor, first, I, I have to give you a compliment. I'm the guy who came up to you at Sox Fest a few years ago and said, how the heck can you work for the Sox when you grew up as a Cubs fan? <laughs> Marty, what's up? I, I just got to tell you, when I heard your voice a couple of weeks ago, I said, all right, that's the Sox. Thanks, so man. You are now identified in my mind with the Sox.
1: <laughs> Glad we've made um, the change. I know I sure am.
2: <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'm just mystified. It seems like a no-brainer. Give Give Cruz a two-year contract Take him away from the twins, and then I see Nightingale saying, "Oh no, Sox have no interest at all. They're so close. Why aren't they taking this move?" Yeah,
1: you know, Marty, I think it's a, I think it's a fair question. I really do. I hadn't seen the, um, I hadn't seen the Nightingale report that you were you were mentioning, uh, but I, I get the gist of it, right? Nelson Cruz makes a lot of sense for a bunch of reasons. He is a tried and true hitter. Uh, I do not think that you let any kind of Past move with like uh, you know Edwin Encarnacion puts you off of a different player. They're different people. They're different careers. They're different swing paths. They're different health levels. All that kind of stuff, right? It's it's really hard. I get it. In that, if you are a White Sox fan, and if you're listening, you are. If you are a White Sox fan, and you have the ability, as as a ball club, to look at your division rival, the Minnesota Twins, who, by the way, just added Andrelton Simmons on a one-year contract for, oh gosh, now I'm getting Marcus Semien's one-year deal. and Can you look that up for me, Tyler? Can you grab that real quick? I think Semien got 18 with the Blue Jays, and I want to say that Andrelton got something like 12 with the Twins, but memory's a little goofy there. Anyway, point is, if you've got Nelson Cruz out there and you can take away from the Twins... 16 home runs in a 60-game stretch, a three oh three batting average, a three ninety seven on base percentage, my God, and a five ninety five slugging percentage, then that makes not only you better, but it makes sure they don't have that, too. Tyler, what'd you find 10 out? Ten and Cents? a half million Ten and for million a- a- Thank you. I appreciate it. And that Twins team is, I'm a big fan of, you know, I was talking earlier about how I'm going to, throughout the season, throughout our, our talks here on White Sox Weekly, I'm going to discuss the starting rotation as being more than five, really. Because I, that's what it takes to get through a year. I'm also you're also going to find out that I like defense a lot. There are some places I'm willing to sacrifice, like second base, perhaps you know, just philosophically. But I like defense a lot. The Minnesota Twins, since 2019, have gone from Jorge Polanco and Miguel Sano on the left side of that infield, Polanco at short, Sano at third, who are atrocious defenders. To Josh Donaldson, albeit for 25 games, because I think he had the hamstring thing for most of the early part of the season. And Jorge Polanco in 20. Polanco's not a very good defensive shortstop, although was better for the 60 games in 20. And Josh Donaldson's a very good third baseman. To now, Josh Donaldson and Andrelton Simmons on the left side. I know that Simmons had a down defensive year last year. He also had, I believe it's an ankle and foot injury that really, really messed him up. You know, I don't know. He wasn't quite the the health level that he's at. Fair to question whether or not, at his age, that elite top tier defense still exists. But even still, if you're getting very good defense in whatever bat he wants to bring defensively, that Twins left side is pretty tough right now. So, in order to take away from a division rival, add to yourself, provide something that that maybe you don't have. or maybe you'd like more of in Nelson Cruz, you you could do it. He fits the lineup. He's another right-handed bat. And I know the White Sox and White Sox fans would, you know, love a little bit more pop from the left-hand side, but name for me a team in baseball that's going, no, no, we're good on on left-handed pop. Thank you so much. Everybody wants left-handed pop. You know it too. There's, you know, the Blue Jays' move with Semyon is interesting. That's a really flushed-out team with a whole bunch of fun hitters in that lineup. And somebody to, it's a team to concern yourselves with if you're the White Sox, who are still, as we've talked about quite a bit, are still projected to be one of, if not the best team in the American League. The Yankees, with their handful of additions, have, I think, surpassed them in expected war via fan graphs. I, I get that. That's fine. I also know that, you know, if you look at a couple of different projection systems, and maybe we'll get into this after we talk with Jonathan Mayo here in a minute or two, Zips the projection system Za Zimborski runs over a fan graphs, loves Lucas Giolito to take an, yeah you heard me another step like strike out more guys and be better than he was. It also it likes Dylan cease. A little bit more than, you know, obviously the ERA and the low strikeout rate liked Dylan Cease last season. So things to think about as you as we kind of put the White Sox into perspective against teams in the American League who are kind of making some moves. The White Sox made theirs early in picking up Lance Lynn and Liam Hendricks and Adam Eaton and, you know, still have some spots they could fill out with some NRIs or maybe a one-year deal here or there. I don't think they're done, done, done. They might be, but I don't think they've completely closed everything off. We'll see. Still... They've got a handful of young kids coming up who either have seen the major leagues just a little bit, and Nick Magical or Andrew Vaughn, who's yet to, but seems like he's targeted for some PT in 2021. Jonathan Mayo knows the prospect game better than just about anybody. He runs MLB Pipeline at MLB.com. He will be our guest coming up in just a few on White Sox Weekly.
0: This is White Sox Weekly on Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. The South Stars have a new home. This is White Sox Weekly. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. White Sox Weekly. ESPN 1000. Drilled to left field. Way out of here. Andrew Vaughn goes on top of the RSF. Payoff, and it's hit well out to right. Way back there. Gone! A Vaughn
1: bomb! On the ground, up the middle from Madrigal, and it sneaks on through. Four for four, Nick Madrigal. Danny Mendick
0: scores. Madrigal upstairs to swat it to right field. Down the line it goes. Madrigal into second base. Nicky's two strikes has a second two-strike hit.
1: This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Those are highlights cut by Tyler Aki. They are from Andrew Fawn and Nick Madrigal. Well, i got to be honest, it's just nice to hear the uh, bat hit the ball a little bit. I'm Connor McKnight. And Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com is our guest on White Sox Weekly this morning. Jonathan, really appreciate you hopping on. Really looking forward to talking prospects with you. How are you? I'm all right, Connor. How are you doing? Absolutely fantastic. MLB Pipeline put out the top 100 for 2021. It it surprised absolutely no one that Wander Franco is at the top of the list. Let's get into the White Sox prospects, though, before we uh, talk about those top five and just how kind of fun and, and mesmerizing they are. Andrew Vaughn at 14. Is the White Sox' highest-rated prospect? He is also a guy that you know, White Sox fans have heard from from their team about potentially playing a big role as a DH or as a first baseman in the 2021 season, despite not having much minor league time at all. Your thoughts about Vaughn and why he's a guy the White Sox can dream on in 21?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a short range dream rather than a long term dream. You know when he when he came out. Uh, in 2019, it was with that reputation of of being a really, really advanced bat. Uh, You know, we had back-to-back years where we had Andrew Vaughn one year and then Spencer Torkelson and went number one to the Tigers the following year in the same vein. The guys are not going to need a whole lot of time to be ready to compete against big league pitching. And yes, we know Andrew Vaughn did not get a a lot of real time uh, because of what happened last year, but he did face a lot of advanced pitching um, you know, at, at the White Sox alternate site in 2020, and um, more than fared well. He was the, the best hitting prospect there. And this is a guy who's you know a plus plus hitter with plus power, unbelievable approach at the plate. It's you know foul pole to foul pole. He can he can drive the ball anywhere. Uh, for a guy with that kind of power, he's not going to strike out a ton. Uh, you know, the only question I think is going to be where to fit him into into the lineup. I thought it was interesting at the alternate site counter that they kind of moved him around a little bit, mostly just to sort of help with his athleticism. Uh, I think he's a first baseman, all said and done. But it does make me wonder if, in the short term, they try to you know trot him out to left field, say if the if if they need uh, things of that nature, uh, especially because uh, you know of, of Jose Abreu's presence at first base.
1: I'm I'm with you. I think more prospects, if they have the athleticism, you know, corner type guys are getting pushed by teams to play, you know, both both corners, not just that infield stuff but also, you know, dabble in the outfield and, you know, less so vice versa, but even some I I wonder Jonathan how are you and your cohorts taking the, you know, some teams submitted film from their alternate sites this year, some teams did not. What's the game plan with how you guys are working with those kind of reports and those
2: kind of not reports? Yeah, we, we have lots of grains of salt ready to, to take. Because And here's what happens is, uh, you know, we don't have access to, to the video that's shared, uh, but it gets tricky because one of the things we do when trying to line up our top 100 is we'll send our order out to you know, pro scouting directors, and it's trickier because they don't have reports from all 30 teams this year unless you know, guys played in the big leagues, uh, the teams that shared video, uh, or instructs. So, you know, it, 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 it's a little trickier than in years past. So, we, you know, we take internal reports a little bit with a, a caveat. Not that we think anything nefarious is at play, there's just a familiarity bias. You know, when you talk to a farm director about his own players, it's almost uh, sometimes you almost get like a parental feel. And it's also the only group of players they see every day. They're not concerning themselves with how Andrew Vaughn stacks up to Spencer Torkelson. They don't care. It's not part of part of the gig. So we have to sort of take that in mind. So when we get a positive report on someone from an alternate site, we do have to you know, be a little bit careful. And then there are some farm directors who aren't as likely to kind of blow their guys up uh, as a result, of, as a result of, of that familiarity bias. What are you hearing,
1: Jonathan? Talk with Jonathan May of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com here on White Sox Weekly what are you hearing, Jonathan, around the league or, or perhaps even from individual teams that you might be able to relate about how they will make up for the lost minor league time in terms of evaluating their own players and getting the, the cross evaluation that's so crucial once you get to the trade deadline this summer?
2: It's amazing how many trades there have been this offseason, considering it? so many of these guys. And, I, you know, it's funny, and I hadn't thought of it until you just posed the question. Uh, you know, I live in Pittsburgh and the Pirates have made a bunch of trades that I, I largely have seen as good, All, almost all of them were guys who were really far away. Now, some of that was the nature of the trades, but the really far away guys were the guys that maybe were scouted more at Instructs. Not coincidence? I don't know. Uh, but it's just something to, to think about. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you, you can make up for lost time. You know, I, the only thing that teams can sort of breathe a little bit about is that all 30 teams are in the same boat. Um, I don't understand why a team wouldn't have been in the sort of data, video sharing plan, um, because I think it's selling yourself short. Uh, You know, sure, maybe there are certain things you don't want people to see about your own players, but you're then not seeing the other team. So I don't know how you can be an active trade partner. In in that regard, you're going to have to rely on 2019 reports. And again, what little maybe that you saw, Uh, you know, at at Instruct. So it's tough in terms of that. You can't make up for the reps. I do think that some of the younger guys who are at the alternate sites um, may end up benefiting more from that than they would have um, at, you know, in the Arizona league uh, or some rookie level league. I think case in point might be Jared Kelly in the White Sox system. Uh, He got a chance to not only face a higher level of competition, but pick the brains of, Advanced level pitchers who have been in the big leagues were up and down to the big leagues. So he may have learned more about how to pitch and how to game plan and how to set up hitters than he would have just blowing hitters away in in the uh, Arizona League.
1: Jonathan teasing the show as we go. We're definitely going to talk about Jared Kelly (laughs) in a second here. (laughs) The mentions are ridiculous, right? I mean, Michael Kopech, Nick Madrigal, Garrett Crochet are all the White Sox top 100. And all the White Sox fans want to hear about is Jared Kelly. We'll get to him in a second. Tell me why Michael Kopech and Nick Madrigal are 39 and 40, respectively, on this list. Um, If you could... I, if we could, I'd, I'd like to spend a little bit more time on Kopech and the return of a guy who hasn't pitched in a long time because Sox fans did see Nick Madrigal hit with two strikes all season long in 2020 and watched him do it coming off of a bum shoulder. Uh Let's hear about 39 and 40 Kopech and Madrigal.
2: So are you asking that because you think they're too low or they're too high? What, you know, How are you framing this question? I think they're, to be honest, I
1: think they're about right, especially when, and I, I don't want to go through the entire list because folks should go <laughs> check it out at MLB.com, but especially when you look at the guys that you have ranked above, like Royce Lewis. I'm just trying to keep it with the infielders as it goes to Magical, with Royce Lewis, um, with uh, Cabrian Hayes, with C.J. Abrams. I mean, I, I get why that would push a guy like Madrigal down whose power potential is, you know, kind of what it is.
2: Yeah, I think with both of them, uh, it they're, they're kind of hard to figure out. We'll start with Kopech because there are a lot of question marks. Um, you know, he had returned to the mound. Uh, he was back throwing 100 miles an hour, and then he decided to sit out the season because of COVID. I don't think anybody can fault the guy for deciding to do that. Um but the fact of the matter is he hasn't really thrown a competitive pitch in quite some time. Um there were always questions about his command. The one thing we know about Michael Kopek is that the guy is a workout freak. He's gonna be in ridiculously good shape. It's not he wasn't sitting at home, you know, uh eating pints of Ben and Jerry's and doing nothing else. No, that was my job. Um like, like the rest of us, right. I was gonna say, you know, <laughs> let me finish. Um but yeah, so I, I, he's going to be in really good shape. I think the question is, what is the feel for pitching going to be? What is his comfort level going to be uh, once he comes back? The stuff is all there, right? The, the, the fastball and slider can get big league hitters out. We've seen it. Um, and the fact of the matter is, he's still, you know, he's not 30. You know, he's going to be 25 at the end of April. So I think there's plenty of time for him to, to sort of tuck himself behind you know, the the top guys in the rotation uh, and and fit in there. Worst comes to worst, that fastball slider will look very, very good coming out of the bullpen if that's what they decide he needs to be. And then as for Madrigal, I think you hit the nail on the head. I I love Nick Madrigal, but he's kind of a unicorn. Like, I I don't know what to do with him. The guy never strikes out. Um, You know, he puts the ball in play. He doesn't impact the ball all that much. Uh, you know, he's going to have to continue to show that he can impact it enough. So, uh, you know, I think there are people who ha- might have him higher. There might be people who have a much, much lower because of that. Uh, because after a certain point in time, a guy who hits, you know, hundred and gets 140 singles in a season, like, what is that? Um, I think it was more strange. You know, he struggled a little bit defensively and with his base running, which is not like him because um, I think he's a plus defender and a guy who really can run and is smart in the base bats so I, you know those are the parts of his game that add to the total sum of the player with the you know almost top of the scale hit grade.
1: Let's talk about Garrett crochet and and kind of the ranking system as it exists. Love to know what you thought of crochet and also at 56 would he be or would a player like him be uh, pushed a little higher? If you knew he was going to start ball games as opposed to be in the bullpen to start 2021, or does that not factor into how you rank and where you rank these guys?
2: It, it factors in a little bit. You know, a little reliever risk um, often, you know, will we'll sort of make us hedge bets a, a little tiny bit in the industry because uh, we do get feedback from tons and tons of scouts. And the thing with Garrett Crochet is, you know, I think he got hurt. More by the pandemic in terms of his standing on lists like these than almost anybody else from the 2020 draft because he had a he had a minor injury um, and didn't come back. Had it been a regular spring, he would have come back and maybe been the best college lefty in the game. And then he goes in the top five picks, and we're not talking about him in the white with the White Sox. Right? The stuff is ridiculous. Everyone saw it, um, and it's just a question. I think we need to see it. Uh, for a longer period of time. But I think he has all the ingredients to be a frontline kind of starter. We may look back, and the fact that he had this minor injury may be one of the greatest gifts the White Sox ever received uh, because based on his his arm and his delivery, and the White Sox worked with him to sort of straighten some things out in terms of his his direction to the plate, uh, that will help his command. Uh, that you know, this is a guy that may go down as as one of the best arms in in, in this class.
1: Mm, that's goosebumps. Let's make Twitter happy, Jared Kelly, and let's talk about Benjamin Bailey as well. I know we talked we touched briefly on Kelly, but I want to hit those two before we uh, say goodbye for the morning.
2: Okay. Well, you know, Jared Kelly is is interesting because you know a lot of people thought that he was going to be a first rounder. Um, he kind of priced himself out. Uh, There's some, some some question marks why he fell to where he did, but kudos to uh, to the White Sox for uh, rolling the dice a little bit and being able to sign him for obviously uh, well above slot for for a second round pick. He had one of the the best fastballs of any high school pitcher in the draft class. So this is a guy who was consistently that summer uh, up to up to 98 uh, regularly um, with a ridiculous changeup. The breaking ball was the thing that was a little bit inconsistent. That's what he really worked on. Uh, again, I talked uh, about the the work that he did at the alternate camp. He really worked on that. Um, you know, he he's got a decent feel for pitching. So I think if the breaking ball continues to come along, then this is a guy who I think has a chance uh, to to be another really interesting uh, athletic starting starting pitcher and that and I think that's okay he just needs to go out and pitch um, Bailey is is interesting just because um, the the combination of an, an, uh, an approach at the plate he's really athletic given his size um, you know he's probably you know he's going to be uh, a corner outfielder probably a left fielder um, you know, he runs okay but it's really the bat I think that you know people should be excited about. He's he's quick to the ball. He doesn't try to do too much. You know, right now, he's kind of hit over power, but I think there's probably going to be a lot more power to come, especially uh, given his frame. You know, he's six four and what listen around two fifteen right now. So I think that uh, it's exciting. It's just we need to sort of wait and see because guys like that, you don't know. Yeah. you don't know how that body is going to fill out. You don't know is he going to lose. <laughs> excuse me, so much speed uh, as he fills out that he has trouble playing the outfield and then we're looking at a DH only, um, you know, is he Eloy Jimenez? Uh, you know, I think people would love, happily take the bat, but what do you do uh, with that if if it's a little rough defensively? I think he'll probably be okay in that field, but, you know, we haven't really, we haven't seen him play in the, in the, in the United States for real yet.
1: Yeah, Jonathan, appreciate you. Great stuff. And you guys do awesome work at MLB Pipeline.
2: Anytime,
1: Connor. Thanks for having me. Jonathan Mayo, MLB.com, MLB Pipeline. We are perilously late for a break, and it's all my fault. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN
0: 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the new home of the White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. The ice is calling, and we've got our skates on. ESPN 1000 brings you the hockey show presented by Coors Light. Host Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley are talking Hawks with you this morning at 10. The Hockey Show on Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Presented by Coors Light and brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss something, podcasts are available on the new ESPN Chicago app. White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
1: Closing it out here on White Sox Weekly, January 30th. We'll flip the calendar to February soon and be closer and closer to pitchers and catchers and spring training and a whole bunch of fun. Here on the White Sox Radio Network, I oh man, can't wait to get started with Len and with DJ and watching baseball and Ryan McGuire, executive producer, and Tyler and Eric. Uh, it's just it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, just talked with Jonathan Mayo, and he is my you know, let prospect talk is my weakness we, we went long and I, I wanted to talk about this top 10 list that scott merkin put out on mb.com we'll push that to next week because i've got some good audio that i want to play with it we'll do some remember when that kind of thing uh looking for looking forward rather to in the near future a conversation with joe Poznanski of the athletic uh looking to talk to him about a piece he wrote about mini minoso white Sox great and not in the hall of fame for very little reason and the piece itself is about mini minoso and how he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I do want to get to one thing. Um, It's been brought up quite a bit during our conversation with Jonathan Mayo from the good folks on Twitch. You can watch watch us on Twitch. Remember, twitch.tv. Just search ESPN 1000 Chicago. Um, And Twitter has has asked me a lot about it as well. The idea of um, piggybacking, Kopech and Crochet in starts, Or, or Crochet and Kopech, either way. I like the idea of piggybacking starters in theory, right? I, I like being progressive and proactive and uh, thought-provoking with my pitching matchups. I like to make sure that I can confuse the enemy as much as possible. I want to make a lot of changes in games because I, I think that does throw hitters off their game and it screws with opponents' lineups. And I really like doing that because I like winning ball games a whole lot. The other thing, though, is this. It sounds to me like Michael Kopech is going to have to start in the, uh, I shouldn't say have to, may start in the minor leagues to knock some rust off, to figure some things out. You heard Mayo say that command is an issue. It is for every pitcher when they've got a layoff, mostly. He needs to work that command out, which means Crochet would then be in the bullpen for a little while to start the season, then start Piggybacking with Kopek once the season began. And I don't, I don't like that kind of movement back and forth for crochet. I don't like that kind of, uh, handcuffing my pitching options when, <clears throat> when you've got to have a guy start at the minor leagues. That's the short answer for that. Thanks so much to Jonathan Mayo. He was fantastic. Thanks for calling, texting, tweeting, twitching, and listening most of all. The hockey show is next. Pat and Brian have Pat Foley at 1035. Baby, it's going to be awesome. This
0: is ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. On the new home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.